Jeff Salzman here, and welcome to the Bite Size Evolver, excerpts from my podcasts. Uh, the, the one I want to talk about today is a column by David Brooks called When Dictators Find God. And David Brooks is another one that I think is proto-integral uh, in the New York Times uh, editorial staff. So I'm always interested in what he has to say, and yet he's... you know a couple sandwiches short of integral. And I'll just start by reading his first paragraph and just comment on it from there. He starts with, what is the 21st century going to be about? If you had asked me 20 years ago on say, September 10th, 2001, I would have had a clear answer. It's advancing liberalism. After the fall of the Berlin Wall, the end of apartheid, Deng Xiaoping's reform in China, a set of values seemed to be on the march. Democracy, capitalism, egalitarianism, individual freedom. Then, over the ensuing decades, democracy's spread was halted and then reversed. Authoritarians in China, Central and Eastern Europe, and beyond wielded power. We settled into a now familiar contest between democratic liberalism and authoritarianism. And I want to start there with a comment and just the general orientation and tone. Okay, that, that last sentence, we settled into a now familiar contest between democratic liberalism and authoritarianism. Well, fair enough in this sense, it's familiar, the, it, it's a, it's a, there's lots of polarities between democratic liberalism and authoritarianism that have been playing out since democratic liberalism came online in the maybe the early 20th century. But if you think of the familiar contests, the last big contest between authoritarianism and democratic liberalism was World War II. Very different in scale and calamity. And I want to note that because the idea, it just seems like it's a requirement to be a public intellectual, at least one that is acceptable to progressives, to come from a place of, look at the mess we found ourselves in now, we stupid humans. We blew it. Once again, we've driven it into the ditch. And I just want to note that the calamity this, or this contest that's happening between democratic liberalism and authoritarianism is happening where all players are operating a stage or two bigger, if you will. The stages I'm talking about are pre-modern traditionalism, um, warrior cultures, and then modern cultures, then postmodern cultures. The players are operating in a far more pacified environment. So the calamity is nothing like the familiar contests that we've had in the past between democratic liberalism and authoritarianism, except in the certain polarities. Okay, then he goes on to say, the 21st century is turning into an era of globe-spanning holy wars at a time when the appeal of actual religion seems to be on the wane. Okay, so the, the, we now are in an era of globe-spanning holy wars. Again, really... I mean, it's defining holy war down. Yes, it is that, and they're happening, and they're brutal. But globe-spanning holy wars is a little overstatement, if you ask me. 
And then he says that it's strange that this is happening at a time when the, the appeal of actual religion seems to be on the wane. And not to me, actually, this is correlation with causation. Um, this is where when religion seems to be on a wane, it is alarming to people who are religious. The disenchantment of the world that is done by modernity, thank God, you know, in the scheme of things, we needed to have it disenchanted. We needed to get into modernity, uh, technology and science and rationality and away from superstitions and all of the, you know, horrors of pre-modern religious cultures. And, you know, integrate them into, you know, they can do it in the you know, ways that modernity are peaceful. So that's all good. You know, when he talks about that, if you would ask him before September 10th, 2011, he would have said liberalism is on the, on the march. Fair enough, it was. And now there's a reaction to that. The, the, it turns out, and I talk about this all the time, that the pre-modern sensibilities are not going to go gently into the disenchanted world of modernity and after. And I'm talking not just about, you know, pre-modern cultures, centers of gravity, you know, these are big generalizations, but also the pre-modern um, strata of our own development and our own gut. Our progeny will look back on our era as, you know, how we look back and we see how people lived in poverty uh, back in, you know, these earlier stages, material poverty, uh, we will be seen as being soulless. You know, th th those were the soulless people. How awful that must have been for them. Oh my goodness, look at them. So we're in the middle of that. And there's a, thank God, a reaction to it from the traditionalists because they're going to require that the integration includes enchantment, the new integration. And it is actually. But it seems to be... Um, David Brooks and, you know, public intellectuals as a whole are blind to it, and strangely to me. Anyway, um, here, here he goes on. He goes to China now, and he says, Xi Jinping is one of the architects of this spiritually coded authoritarianism. I resent that, actually, on, the, on behalf of the authoritarians. <laughs> spiritually coded? This is authentic spirituality. How do you know it's spiritually coded? Anyway, he, he goes on, he says, Mao Zedong regarded pre-revolutionary China with contempt. And so did the Soviets. You know, they came in with this blunt modernity where they outlawed religion or they outlawed the wearing of veils in Turkey and all of that sort of thing. It's imposed on people. That didn't change people's hearts. It may have changed their behaviors, but their hearts have to catch up here. And that's what's happening in China. So he goes on and he says, but Xi's regime has gone out of its way to embrace old customs and traditional values. How awful. China scholar Max Oitman says, it is restricting independent religious entities while creating a quote, socialist core value view, unquote. Socialist core value view. A creed that includes a mixture of Confucianism, Taoism, Marxism, and Maoism. Okay, maybe that's what China needs. Maybe that's what's next for China. And I'm not arguing for that. These pre-modern stages, the traditionalists are brutal. Uh, I just understand it. 
And I think we'll be able to um, deal with it better if we understand it and don't just say, why are these people doing this? And these, you know, they're, they're, they're taking on the mantle of religion in order to move the people and mm, not necessarily. And he writes, the regime's top-down, this is China still, the regime's top-down moral populism is having an effect. Today, traditionalism is gaining momentum among everyday Chinese people. For a lot of them, a whole lot of them, moving to traditionalism is evolutionary progress over um, the stage of warriorism in, in these brutal little hamlets uh, where so many of the Chinese people lived in you know, the peasantry. That's red. That's not even traditional. So traditional is progress for them. And it also is for the intellectuals and politicians to, to the degree that they were living in a soulless modernity. They're, they don't want to do that either. Humans don't want that. So anyway, he goes, the Chinese internet is apparently now rife with attacks on the decadent white left. Educated American and European progressives who champion feminism, LBGTQ rights, and such. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, th th this is part of the downside of, of traditionalism, and it's the downside of every uh, first-tier stage. Or, uh, you know, it's the downside of traditionalism, modernism, and postmodernism, and others. But those three, those are the three that are really online here. It needs an enemy. It divides the world into good and evil. Again, there's evolutionary progress in that. Before we had good and evil, we had might is right. Um, and before that, we had evil and, you know, spirits. There's a progress there even. But yes, they're going to demonize the West. And they're going to point out our uh, failings, which are many, and welcome to evolution. What's sort of missing, it, it's, it's funny because David Brooks argues against the blank slate view of the human psyche, that we're born as blanks and then you know, we learn from our culture and our parents and so forth how to be, but that we actually have, we come in with, what do they call it, waving trails of glory, that I forget the poet, uh, but we come in with karma. So do cultures and growth is built in. We come in with a trajectory of growth. And so this idea of humans being manipulated and, and th these leaders have the pulse of their countries. They're riding a wave that they perceive and, and feel themselves. You know, the, when we talk about the decadent left that they're polarized against, you know, so we're talking about unbelievable torrents of pornography raining down on our children's computers. I mean, I'm still shocked at that. You know, Cardi B, ridiculing leaders, lying about everything. Pre-modern people don't have the complexity of psyche to feel safe with that in that kind of a world. The reason they don't feel safe is because they're not safe in that kind of a world. There's, they sense that the culture doesn't have the levels of literally self-control that are installed in modernity and post-modernity that... Uh, where, you know, I would argue from the position of modernity, post-modernity, that pornography, Cardi B, you know, ridiculing our leaders, all of the stuff that we do that scares them is also progress. That's, that's actually our way of reintegrating some of these earlier stages uh, that are, you know, sexy and rude. That's going to be part of the sacred world to come, people. 
He says, even wannabe authoritarians in America and Western Europe are getting in on the game. And he's talking about you know, Hungary, Orban, and of course, Putin. The international affairs scholar Tobias Kremer has shown that many of the so-called Christian nationalists who populate far-right movements on both sides of the Atlantic are actually not that religious. Uh, fair enough, but they have traditional hearts. And so it has just this, the God and country vibe. There's something magical about their people, about their country, the ancestors, you know, that whole there's a big strata of human development that modern and postmodern want to no part of. Integral is the fix for that because we want all of it. Then he goes on, and this is his last paragraph. <clears throat> Those of us on the side of Western liberalism have no choice but to fight this on the spiritual and cultural plane as well. Well, okay, I guess I won't argue with that. We do fight our way forward, and we will fight on the spiritual and cultural plane as well, uh, or we should. And I think integrate is a better word, but I'll go, go on. And then he goes on, he says, and we want to show that pluralism is the opposite of decadence, okay? But for, not from their perspective, but fair enough. But is a spiritually rich practically effective way to lift human dignity and run a coherent society. Okay, a lot there. It's practically effective, absolutely. Tripled lifespans, human dignity, individual liberty, the, the, the state is reigned in, a coherent society, absolutely. This, these are the fruits of modernity and post-modernity. But spiritually rich? No, it's not, actually. The classic liberals often argue that the founders of classic liberalism, like the founding fathers in the United States, were religious. Yes, fair enough, but they were modern with a foot in traditionalism still. And indeed, in many cases, a foot in the red warrior stage in the sense that they bought and sold human beings. They were slave owners. But once liberalism, once that moved secularism rationality becomes the dominant mode, and we call that mean modernity, there's no spiritually rich anything. Everything is reduced to uh, bits of matter and neurons and synapses and, you know, whatever. Ken calls it frisky dirt. But I will say that I'd agree with him that it will be spiritually rich because Western liberalism will continue to evolve beyond Western liberalism. And we will do it by bringing forth the precious pre-modern jewels of myth and magic and home and motherland, but not in a fascist way. From an integral perspective, we want to be friendly to the gifts of every stage of development, but shorn of its fascism, because every stage of development thinks that it's the only one that's right, and that once they remake the world in their image, then everything's going to be fine. But that's not it. First of all, there's no two people alike. There's no two cultures alike. Everybody's working it, but there is an updraft of emergence. And everybody gets to be where they are in it. And what we want to do, what our contribution is, uh, Claire Graves called integralists, the universal donors, the people who can relate to everybody in the spiral of development, that relaxes the system. That, that's our job. Uh, and to make room for everybody so that the gifts can be given and integrated into the sacred world to come. 